Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Learning from the prayers of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, very familiar passage beginning in verse number 9. The Bible says this, After this manner therefore pray ye. Read it with me. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to talk about what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer or the prayer that Jesus actually used to teach the disciples about prayer. Uh, before we do that, I just want to kind of touch a few things right here. We can learn a lot about Jesus by examining his prayer life. I could learn a lot about you by examining your prayer life. I'm not going to do it, but I am going to encourage you to do it. I'm going to encourage you to examine your prayer life. You say, well, I just don't hardly ever pray. Then there's not a whole lot to examine, and maybe what we need to do is find a little time every day so we'll have something to examine. Amen? Amen? But we can learn a lot about Jesus by examining His prayer life. We learn His personality, His nature. We find out that He is loving. We find out that He is compassionate. We find out that He cares. We find out that He realizes that He has the power to do exploits, to do the works of God. We find that out, don't we? We learn not only about his personality and his nature, but we learn about what matters most to him. We learn about his heart. The Bible said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when we look at the prayer life of Jesus, we realize that it's very, very important to Jesus, and it's very, very important to God that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is taught and preached and spread and declared around the world in such a way that people will be attracted to Him and He will have the opportunity to come into their heart and into their life and become their Savior and their Lord. This is the crux of the gospel. It is what matters more to God than anything else. Listen. Your life matters to God. Your healing matters to God. Your prosperity matters to God. The things, the thoughts, the intents of your heart matters to God. But the thing that matters to God more than anything is the condition of your heart towards Him. And that is the number one thing that God cares about. And since it's the number one thing that God cares about, you know what I'm going to say. It should be the number one thing that we care about, right? The third thing that we can learn about the uh, about watching Jesus pray is we learn why he came to the earth. He came to this earth to offer himself. He came to this earth to be the lamb that would be slain from the foundation of the world. He's the only spotless man who ever lived, and we just got through celebrating his death, burial, and his resurrection. 
That's why he came to the earth. And then the secondary reason I think that he came to the earth was to preach the kingdom of God so he could establish the church in the earth. He needed to establish the church, which the Bible calls his body, him being the head of the church. So God needed an extension of himself in the earth. And so he sent Jesus to die on Calvary to put in place what we call the atonement or at one with, to be made at one with God. So he brings Jesus to the earth, makes him the head of the church. He dies, establishes atonement. And since atonement is established, now there's, it's necessary for the work of redemption to kick into gear. So he redeems man unto himself, cleanses them by the blood of Jesus, attaches them to the head of the church, and calls them God's body on the earth. So we're God's body. That means we're his eyes, we're his hands, we're his feet. If God's going to do anything in the earth today, he's going to do it through his body. So the church is the representative of God upon the earth. So the purpose of God and the purpose of Jesus was that Jesus would come, that Jesus would die, that atonement would be put into place, that redemption could kick into place, global redemption, corporate redemption around the world so the church could be established, thus giving God a hands-on experience with humanity. Isn't that powerful? Number three, number four, we learn through his prayers what he wants to achieve. And we've already kind of touched that. We learned that he wants to achieve people giving their life to Christ. But I also, and I put this down here because I wanted to kind of go down this track a little bit. I think that he also wants to achieve a group of sons. He wants to achieve sonship. He wants to achieve that. And then number five, we learn how he wants to do this. And obviously that is through Calvary. Then there are several themes that are apparent themes that are apparent through the prayers of Jesus. Number one, he gave thanks all of the time. Jesus was a thankful man. He went around and he didn't have any, he didn't have to say thank you, but he thanked the Father every time you turn around. So uh, one of the uh, one of the themes of his prayers was giving thanks to the Father. So that should be one of our themes in prayer. Many times we talked about that on Wednesday nights. And then communion with the Father is another theme. Jesus loved pulling himself away and spending time with God. You will find, and I talked about this last Wednesday night, you will find that some of the most powerful times of your spiritual walk with God is when you are alone with God in personal prayer time. That's where God fills you with power. That's where God fills you with anointing. And when you're alone with God in spiritual prayer time, then you know that you're not doing it for anyone else because no one else can see you. And there's a benefit to that, isn't there? Isn't there? So you can get really vulnerable before God. You become intimate with the Lord in your personal prayer time. And Jesus did this through communion. So he encouraged us to have communion with the Lord. And then the third theme that we find in a lot of the prayers of Jesus, and next week we're actually going to get into some of the actual prayers that Jesus prayed and break them down. But the third theme that you can see in the prayers of Jesus is that he was submitted to God. Jesus did not have a problem with pride. Jesus was not arrogant. Jesus was submitted. Jesus was in authority and he was under authority. He was submitted to his heavenly father 
And we can see through his interaction with his mother that he was evidently submitted to his earthly mother because she felt the need and the right and the liberty to correct him when she couldn't find him at 12 years old. So we see that Jesus lived a life of submission. Now, Jesus prayed a lot. Let's talk about learning from the prayers of Jesus. Jesus prayed a lot. He drew himself away. For 40 days, he drew himself away into the mountain, and he fasted and he prayed for 40 days in the wilderness. He prayed on the Mount of Olives. There were times when the Bible said that Jesus would go into the mountain alone to pray. Jesus prayed a lot. Jesus prayed alone. He prayed alone a lot, and then Jesus prayed in front of multitudes a lot. And we'll talk about that. When he fed the 4,000, when he fed the 5,000, when he prayed at Lazarus' tomb, Jesus prayed in front of people. Jesus prayed in good times, and Jesus prayed in bad times. He prayed when things were going well. He prayed when they were crucifying him. Jesus modeled effective prayer. So the point that I'm trying to make here, before we really get into the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, is that when we talk about prayer, and when Jesus talks about prayer, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Because he practiced prayer. And that's what we do as Christians. We practice prayer. When you practice something, you just get better and better and better and better and better at it. You say, well, I can't pray very good. Then practice. Practice prayer. Because if you practice prayer, then you'll get better at it. You'll get better at it. And learn everything that you can about prayer. Why should we learn so much about prayer? Because it was Jesus that said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, he didn't say it should be called a house of preaching. It should be called a house of worship. It should be called a house of teaching. All of those things are necessary. But when Jesus defined his house, he used the word prayer because he realized that prayer can create intimacy between us and God. So prayer is important. So Jesus begins to teach them. And he says here in Matthew chapter 6, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. So he's telling them this is how you need to pray, or this is a model for you to pray. Here's what he said. He said, Our Father. Let's just stop right there. He said, Our Father. You're not just praying to God, you're praying to Daddy God, Abba Father, praying to Daddy God. When you pray to your Heavenly Father, He recognizes your voice because you're family. Somebody can call me on the phone and I can say hello and they can say hello and they can talk an entire paragraph and I can still be trying to figure out who they are. How many of you have ever experienced that? But you let my wife call, I better know her voice. And you let my children call, I mean, I've got twins, Nikki and Susie. I've got twins. The older they're getting, the less they're looking alike. They still look a lot alike, but when they were little, I mean, we've got friends that called them. They would just say, hey, Nikki Susie, Susie Nikki, and it'd be just one of them, but they couldn't tell them apart, so they just nicknamed them Nikki Susie or Susie Nikki. 
But I'm going to tell you right now, this one right here, Susie can call me on the phone. I know the minute she says the first word that it's Susie, not Mickey. Why? Because of the family connection. So when we're praying, I want you to get this inside of you. You're not praying to a stranger. You're not praying to some judge up there with a club in his hand waiting for you to mess up so he can knock you upside of the head and get you to line back up. No, you are praying to a loving, compassionate, caring God who identified you the moment you said the first word. It said, our Father, our Father. Jesus was stressing family relationships and the benefits of it. Oh, thank God. When I pray to him, I'm praying to Daddy God. I'm praying to our Father. Now, some of the things that are not some of the greatest benefits, but he's God, so he's going to know anyway. It's really a benefit for us, but in the flesh, we would think it's not a real great benefit. Your daddy knows things about you that nobody else knows. Now, here's the benefit of that with God. Yes, he knows things about you that nobody else knows, and he still wants you. He still loves you. He's still reaching to you. He's still extending to you. Why? Because, you ready for this? Blood runs thicker than water. We're bound together by the blood that ran on Calvary and blood runs thicker than water. And when God sees you, he identifies your sonship because of the blood of Jesus that he sees upon you. So you raise your hands and you say, our father. And God says, whoa, that's my family. So we're not praying to a stranger and we're not praying to a harsh judge. We're praying to Daddy God. Our Father who art in heaven. So we're not just praying to Daddy God, but we're praying to someone who is in heaven, which means that he is above all things. He resides above all things. And the Bible teaches us that he's above all things. And for those of, of us that are Christians, he is in us. So he's above all things and he's in all things for those of us that are Christians. How can he be above us and in us at the same time? Because he's an omniscient God, which means he is everywhere present. So Jesus was saying to them, when you pray, address him like he's the daddy that loves you. Number one, that's Abba Father. And number two, realize his position, that he resides above everything that comes against you. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, famine, peril, or sword. The Word of God says none of that can separate us from God's love. Why? Because it's a family love that is bound together by blood. And He is above all of our circumstances. He is above all of our challenges. He is above the doctor's report. He is above the banker's report. He is above the Dow Jones industrial average. He is above it all. Hallelujah. He's above it all. And He's looking down. Our Father who 
art in heaven. He's looking down from heaven. And if he lives inside of us because in our mission and we're his family, then not only is he looking down, but he's looking out. Who can I heal? Who can I bless? Who can I touch? Who can I show my power to? Who can I love on today? Who can I show compassion to? What's he doing? He's looking out for you. And he's looking out for me. And he's looking out for the lost. So our Father who art in heaven, and then here's what the word says, hallowed be thy name. If there's one thing that has bothered me about the modern church, it's this. Maybe I'm just getting to be an old fuddy-duddy, but, I'm start, but I have many times wondered what happened to the reverence for the house of God. I mean, it's almost like sometimes that when we come to church, some of the places that I've been ministering and preaching, and I'm not trying to find fault, I'm just observing. It's how they do church. But it's almost like they're going to watch some kind of a Broadway show instead of coming into the presence of God and expecting to receive anything from the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you get in your car and you come to church here to Lakewood Family Church on Sunday morning and you make yourself available for the move of God, I want you to know there's a lot of prayer that's went in to what you're getting ready to experience. There's a lot of preparation that's went in to what you're getting ready to experience. Why? Not so we can be good, but because we want to make sure that we're available for God to use us because this is not a show. It's an experience with God. Hallelujah. Come on. And that only comes through reverence. That comes through experiencing God and saying, you know what, this is holy. Now, I'm all about excellence and I'm all about doing things as perfect as we can. For goodness sakes, we're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're presenting ourselves to God. We need to practice. We need to do everything that we can to do it as perfect as we possibly can because it's our offering to Him. But when we offer ourselves to Him and we come we should not come as a spectator. We should come as a participator to receive what the anointing that that atmosphere attracts can do for us. Hallelujah. Because when you come to church on Sunday morning, you're coming to God's living room. This, this, this building is not the church. You're the church. This is where we gather to get ready for the week. This is where we gather to learn God's Word. This is where we gather to get inspired. It's where we gather to connect with our brothers and sisters. And when we come into the sanctuary, it's a holy place. The word hallowed be thy name means to render or pronounce holy. Did you know that the Jews wouldn't even utter his name? In the Jewish language, there was no name for God. They called him Jehovah and other things. The word God literally is a German term 
that someone attached and we just adapted to it and we said, you know what, that can better describe for us in the English language what we're doing. And so when they were translating and stuff, they used the word God. But God was so holy to the Jews, the word God was so holy to the Jews that they were afraid to utter his word. In fact, when you look in the Hebrew word for Yahweh or Jehovah, there are no vowels. Why are there no vowels? There's no vowels in it because they couldn't pronounce his name. They were afraid to pronounce his name because they had such reverence for his holy name. And the Bible said here, Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy or reverent is your name. Pastor, get ready to be pastor. You ready? That's why you should never use curse words with the name of God. Come on. When you GD this and GD that, you know what? He just might start doing it. That's why you shouldn't use curse words. Use those curse words with God's name. The Bible said, take not the Lord thy God name in vain. You're not supposed to take his name in vain. And there's a lot of people today, they're like, well, you know, it's just the only way that I can express it. Listen, you can express it. Use them other words if you want to. But listen, leave God's name out. Leave his name out of it. I was working at the dairy once and this guy had a problem saying, Jesus, the F word, Christ. Finally, one day, I looked at him. I said, keep calling on him. I'm praying he answers. He looked at me. Never heard him say it again. God will give you what to say when you need to say it. So, hallowed be thy name. According to commentator Albert Barnes, this phrase means this. I love this. Let thy name be celebrated, venerated, and esteemed holy everywhere, and receive from all people proper honor. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be celebrated. May your name be venerated. May your name be esteemed holy everywhere, and may your name receive proper honor proper honor. Then it says, thy kingdom come, period. You didn't know there was so much preaching in just the Lord's Prayer, did you? I've preached series on it, entire series. I'm having a hard time just preaching it in one message. Then he said, thy kingdom come, period. Did you ever notice that? It didn't say, thy kingdom come, come, thy will be done. No, it said, thy kingdom come, Period. What does that mean? It means final. Thy kingdom come. In other words, may your systems and may your ways of doing things come to the earth because God, we want to do things your way. The full realization of this will be realized in the millennial reign of Christ, but until then we pray, thy kingdom come, 
period. And then it goes on and it says, Thy will be done in earth, comma, as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something here. There's one little tiny two-letter word that we just jump over and it changes the whole meaning. We got to pay attention to what we're reading sometimes. Thy kingdom come, period. Thy will be done in earth. In earth. Not on earth, but in earth. If his will is done in earth, then it will flow over to on earth. But the word says when you pray, let your will be done in the earth. <laughs> when we talk about thy will being done on the earth, then we speak of the influence of God. But when we talk about his will being done in the earth, then we speak of the DNA of God. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Now listen to me very closely. God can either influence your life or God can be a daily part of your life. What do you mean by that? You can listen to my teaching, my preaching. You can listen to other people's teaching and preaching. You can read the Word. I hope you're listening to God every single day. And you're experiencing the influence and the impact of the Word of God upon your life. But that's the influence of the Word. Hearing it with the hearing of the ear is different than carrying it around inside of you. When the Word of God is in you, it's working you can work that word, and that word will work in you because the word will work if you work the word. So when we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven, what he's saying is let me get into the DNA of your everyday life. Here's what our prayer should be concerning the earth. Our prayer should be, God, I want your heavenly will in the earth in such a way that it becomes more than an influence, but it becomes an in integral part of who we are. My prayer for you today is that his kingdom would come and his will would be done in you because if his will is done in you, then the on you will take care of itself. Look at your neighbor and say, in and on are two different things. Now, I want to challenge you because, you know, I've got this sign in my office now, you know, audience or army. Okay? You're not an audience. You're an army. So I want to challenge you this week, those of you that took notes, I want you to, to meditate on the difference between in and on. I want you to think about, you know what? I'm praying that his will is in me and not just any kind of will, but the will for me that he has established in heaven before the world began. God spoke to Jeremiah, and he told Jeremiah the prophet, he said, before you were formed in the belly, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. You know what God would speak to us if we could hear him? He would say, Vicki, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you and ordained you to be the mother-in-law of Pastor Jonathan. 
I want you to look at your neighbor right now and I want you to tell them with everything that's inside of you, your life is not an accident. Come on, tell them. Your life is not an accident. Before you were formed in the belly, God knew you. God ordained you. God named you. God called you. God anointed you. God put DNA inside of you. And after he got through with that, then he put himself inside of you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And because he's in me, in him I live, and in him I move, and in him I have my being. And because he's in me, hallelujah, he can be in you also. Isn't that exciting? Come on. Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. You established my steps in heaven before I ever drew my first breath. You say, well, well then how come things aren't going the way? that I think they should go because you're not surrendered. God needs your cooperation. He needs you to be who you are so he can be who he is. He needs you to be who he made you to be so he can be who he is inside of you. You're not in a church down the street. You're in a word church. You're going to get word here. Ha! (laughs) I better keep going. I'm cranked. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I want you to see something. Now, that, yes, and we can pray. Lord, Lord, meet our needs and all of that kind of stuff. But there's something that I want you to see here. I want you to notice the divine order of this prayer. Listen, we put God's interest first and that positions us to then ask for ourselves. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Took care of God. Took care of what he needed. We recognized him as Daddy God. We reverence his name. We ask him to establish himself in the earth. And then, because we recognize who he is, then he helps us see who we are. Then we are in a position to say, give us this day our daily bread. You take care of God first and God will take care of you. Let me put it like this. You need to write this down and put it on your refrigerator. You make God a priority and God will make you a priority. He's actually already prioritized you, but because we haven't made him a priority in our life anymore, then God's a covenant God. Well, how do I make him a priority? Why do you think we come to church on Sunday morning? I'm not trying to embarrass him, but I had a pretty strong conversation with one of our young men about a week ago. They made a mistake. 
They made a mistake. They went putt-putting on Sunday morning and put pictures of it on Facebook. And I just want you to know right now, they just now found out that's how I knew. I'm never on their Facebook, but I saw it in the news feed. And I looked at them, and I said, God's trying to raise you up. And I said, on Sunday morning, I said, you know, somebody called and asked about where you, well, I was tired, I worked, and you know, I didn't get in bed till 4 o'clock. I said, you got up and went putt-putting. When I get to heaven, I don't want some crazy putt-putt to take the place of God. Hallelujah. And I told him, I said, why do you think we come to church on Sunday morning? And so now I'm going to have that conversation with you. Some of you know why, but some of you may not. So I'm going to share it with you. Why does the New Testament church meet on Sunday morning for church? Saturday's the Sabbath, right? Well, the Bible said we're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. But the New Testament church met on Sunday morning. Why did they meet on Sunday morning? Here's the reason why. Because Sunday morning is the first day of the week. And the morning is the first morning of the week. And God established the law of first fruits. So we give him the first morning of the first day of the week as a time seed for the rest of the week. Now, why are you saying that, Pastor? Here's why I'm saying that. Because some of y'all... get up on Sunday morning and go putt-putting instead of giving God his time seed. Hallelujah. The divine order. Give us this day our daily bread. We take care of God first, then he takes care of us. Amen? 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 Come on, amen? Look at your neighbor and say, be here next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, see, we're not trying to get you to come to church on Sunday morning so we can have a full house. I'm trying to get you to heaven. And I'm trying to help you enjoy the journey on the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. And then it goes on. <laughs> There's other things we could talk about too. When, when you pay your tithe, God doesn't get the second 10%, the third 10%, the seventh 10%. God gets the first 10%. <sighs> Give us this day our daily bread. And then the Word of God says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Word of God has a whole lot to say about forgiveness. You can see verses 14 and 15. And then it goes on and it says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is a cry from God to give us strength in the times of temptation. The Bible says in the book of James that we are not to say that God tempts any man. God does not tempt any man. What he's saying here, lead us not into temptation. What he's saying is that he will help us in those times of temptation. 
there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The reason that people fall into temptation when they're Christians is because they don't take the way of escape. That's what the Word says. The Word didn't say you wouldn't be tempted. On the contrary, God's Word says you'll be tempted. But when you're tempted, I'll give you a way of escape. So take it. And then it goes on. Deliver us from evil. And then the doxology, therefore thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Is really not in the original text, but it fits good here. Because he is the one who has the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Woo! Wish I had another hour. And I'm telling you right now, we just can't let the Baptist beat us to Sioux City. So. Look. Look at your neighbor and say, this is the kind of stuff that'll help you grow. Come on, tell them. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number 4, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, Three four six six nine, or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.